Good morning, church, and welcome to online preaching. Today is the 11th of October of 2020, and this is lesson 8. We are busy still with uh, uh, lesson 8, and uh, today's lesson is going to be part 6. And uh, we're going to be finishing off today with the life of Joseph. We're going to be finishing off with the... Um, the great steward of the Old Testament that we have observed and we have watched and we've gone through his life from the time that he was in his father's house to the time he became the governor of Egypt. And um, so we've got to come to the conclusion of this as we go over to our notes of our discipleship course. And in closing, what can we learn from the life... <laughs> I mean, not closing our house sermon, but closing up with the life of, of, of Joseph. Uh, what can we learn from the life of Joseph concerning good stewardship? We've watched and we have observed that a good steward is reliable and earn and earns his master's trust. Now, being a steward of God means that the Creator Himself, God Himself, is putting his trust in us to manage well the resources that he has blessed us with. Okay? Being a steward is a privilege. And because it is a privilege, therefore, we must be trustworthy and reliable. When God places something in our hands, we need to be reliable. When He places something in our hands, we need to earn that trust. You know that that because He says He He blesses us with small things, He entrusts in our hands the small things, so He can see what we will do with the small. Many times we want to be blessed with the great things, but we don't have the capacity to contain it. Many times we want to be blessed with great things, but we don't have the capacity, the, the ability to run with it. And therefore, the great blessing gets wasted. You know, if, if you say, you know what, um, and someone blesses you with so much produce, but your tiny little car cannot contain it. it. says, you know what? I'm going to bless you with so much. And we said, but uh, my vehicle can't take it. He says, well, I don't want it. I'm blessing you with it. So what happens is, is that we fill up our car as much as we can, but we cannot take the excess. And therefore, we leave it to waste as we drive away. Now you must probably say, but yeah, you can drive away and come back for the rest. What if you stay about nearly a thousand kilometers away? You won't, won't be able to do that. If you understand what I'm trying to say is this, is that it's better to be blessed with the small things so that we can grow the small things. So when the great things get, when we get blessed with the great things, we have grown to be able to contain the great blessing. Amen. 
Oh, let me let me use another example. All right. Let's say, for instance, you have always worked as a follower, or let's say you have always worked as a cashier, you've always worked as the cleaner, you've always worked as you know so forth and so forth. And let's say someone comes and blesses you with a CEO position. Please note, you've got no training. You don't know how to balance books because you never had the experience of balancing books. You never administrated because you never had the experience of administrating. You've never been in a position where you had to lead so people can follow. And suddenly you get this position thrust upon you and you don't know how to do it. I mean, it's a great job. I mean, a salary is good. The position is good. You've got the company car, everything. Yes, you got all the bells and whistles. But the problem is this, is this, is that yes, you got the blessings, but you don't know how to work it. You, you, you know, the, the word I'm looking for um, is you, are, you cannot be a reliable person to be as a CEO because you don't know how to do it. Now, don't you think that the right path would have been this? That you worked, let's say, as a cleaner. And let's take as a retail shop uh, or any, any company. And then you worked up to be the paper boy or the paper girl or the tea lady. And then you worked towards becoming the receptionist. And then you worked towards being a, a data capture or, or, or a, a some form of, of the next level of position. And eventually one day you come to become the CEO or even the owner of this company. And by that time, you know how to manage it. In actual fact, you know every facet of your company because you worked in every position. You've done the work. You've done the job. And as your responsibilities grow, your abilities grow with it. So what happens is this, is that being a good steward, God places into our hands things, small things, so that as we grow with it and as we learn how to manage the resources that he's blessed us with, he, he will bless us with more and as he blesses more, we grow with it. A good steward is responsible and has the power and authority. Do you know that God has given you the power over his material resources and also our talents? But we need to remember that this power is only delegated. We, yeah, we are in charge. But we are not completely in charge because why? The full authority still belongs to God. You cannot take, away, uh, take that away from God. A good steward is responsible. A good steward has power and authority that has been given to him by God. 
The problem is this is that when you get clarity so quickly, our heads tend to grow, tend to swell. And then we walk around and we forget how to treat people correctly. We forget how to, to speak to people correctly. So while well, I'm the boss, who do you think you are? God does not like that. God does not like that one bit. Because why? You have forgotten who you are. I told a story not so long ago. About a man who started working for this company at the lowest. As a cleaner. He cleaned toilets, urinals. He swept the floors. When people made a mess in the cafeteria, he was there to clean it up. And he grew with his responsibilities because he wasn't cleaner all his life. Because as time went along, he, he graduated to the next position. It did not take a short amount of time. It took many, many, many years. Until one day he found himself being the CEO or the boss or the owner of this company. But he never forgot where he came from. When he walked in and the, the doorman opened the door for him, he greeted him and said, how are you? How is things at home? How's your wife? How's the family? Person is on, as he walks in and there's someone cleaning the floor, he says, Allah, how are you? The people of the company loved him. They adored him. Not because he was a CEO and because he had money. No, because he respected each and every one of them. Of course, it takes a bit of a period of time before he gets to his office with him beating all the people along the way. But the thing is this, is that he always said this and people asked him, why are you this way? And you know, his company was one of the most successful in the country. Because people worked. Not just because of money. They worked because they loved the company, they loved what they did, and they loved their boss. Mother's Day... He was sending the mothers the presents, you know, gifts for Mother's Day. Father's Day, he will do the same thing. When it's their children's birthday, he will remember their birthdays and he will send some gift to the child. Each and every one in this family, in, in this company, was like family. He was asked one day, how is it and why do you do it this way? What is this thing about family? And he said, you know what? When I was a cleaner, yes, I cleaned, but I'm also a person. I also need respect. I also need to be somewhere, somehow, that what I do matters. And I've seen in that way. Because you know what? If I had to walk into a company and it was dirty, I would walk out. If I was a customer, 
Therefore, your cleaner is also one of the most important people in your company. They are the ones that brings that form of 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 uh, of uh, uh, not respect, but as when the person walks in, they can they look around and they see uh, what the company is. Basically, they become the face of the company. If they did not clean, we will not be able to sell. We will not be able to manage. We will not be able to pull in investors and, and, and uh, customers because our company will not look like it's been cared for. And these are the people that care for it. And as we go through the ranks, each and every one of the people will require some form of respect and responsibility. And they are under my control and therefore I am over them and they are my resources but I am not going to abuse them because they are people just like me. See, good steward has responsibility. He has power. He has authority. But know this is this, is that God has blessed you with all that. Many times we forget about that. A faithful steward is promoted by God. And I've already touched on this point already in my first few points, but this is it. When God sees your faithfulness in little things, then He will bless you with even more. If you cannot be faithful in the little things, how would you be faithful in the great? You can't say this, you know, when I get when I get greater things, I'll be more faithful. No, it doesn't work that way. If you are faithful in the small things, the Lord sees, the Lord watches. Psalm 75, uh, chapter 75, verse 6 to 7 says this, For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. Did you read that? Promotion does not come from any of the four corners of the world, but is from God. If he decides to put down one and set us up another, he does so by his judgment. Prosperity and success will test our characters infinitely more than hardships will ever will. Did you catch that? When we're in trouble... And our backs are against the proverbial wall. We know that we are in need of help. And it's then, and sometimes it's only then, that we often turn to God. But did you know that success has corrupted more individuals than hardships will ever will? It's prosperity that often causes people to lose sight of God. It's prosperity that makes us to think that our achievements are as a result of our own natural abilities. We tend to remove God from the equation. We tend to think that, no, Lord, this is not you, it's all me. 
We tend to think that, you know what, because every time we are focused on the natural world, that we tend to only start to think naturally, and we start to think in the flesh, and we start to think that, no, I do not see God's hand yet. It's all my own strength. And many of men have fallen very hard from the very high pinnacle of their success because they forgot to give God all the glory. Many men have tend to come to a point of their success where they say, I am God. Many men have come to the point, and even women have come to the point where they have said that, that uh, 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 there is no God because I did this on my own. Or they come to a point where they say, you know what, I am greater than God. And many of those men and women have died because of those very words. Some that night, by some fluke accidents, some have gotten very bad diseases and they died in agony because God is always in control he is sovereign and as soon as anyone starts to condemn God where they think that they are better or higher or greater than him he brings in the judgment let's read that that psalm again Psalm 75, but I want to read more on verse 7. But God is the judge. He puts down one. See, even God demotes people and exalts another. He promotes. So yes, prosperity often causes people to lose sight. Of God, and they think that you know what, all that I have done, all that I have achieved is on my own strength, is my natural abilities. And there's even with even with extreme wealth and power at his disposal, we see that Joseph he's just been promoted into the second highest position, and he has access to the wealth of Egypt, to the gold of Egypt. He had access to power. He had access most probably to even the armies of Egypt. He could conquer any country. But even with this extreme wealth, even with extreme power at his disposal, Joseph still waited on the Lord. And he watched in faith as God brought his dream to fulfillment. Joseph had a dream, yes. Just like Martin Luther Payne said, I have a dream. Joseph had a dream. Not one of his own making. A prophetic dream. But he did not force it into reality. He knew that God was in control. He did not say, okay, Lord, I think I want to be now. The prince of Egypt. Okay, Lord, I want to be now the most powerful ruler of the world. 
No. He waited. He went through hardships. He went through pain. He went through separation. He went through imprisonments. He went through blasphemy or even a, a, a false witnessing against him. He went through all this, but the whole time he knew that God was in control. Being a faithful steward doesn't always follow a straight line. Many times you come before God and say, Lord, I'm a faithful steward. Why has this not been done? How long must I wait? Take, for instance, Abraham and his wife Sarah could not have children. They were not recently married. They've been married for many, 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 many years. From the time of the youth. Abraham was a righteous man. Faithful. He followed God. He spoke to God. He stood before God many times. God told him, leave his country. He left. Leave his father's house. So his, his family behind. Uh, the village behind. He left. Did not know where he was going. But he just knew. God said, go. He went. But Abraham and Sarah could not have children. They could not have children. Abraham was faithful. Sarah was faithful. But the blessing of the womb was close to them. So finally, after Many years. Abraham was an old man. Sarah was an old lady. God came and said that your children are going to be like the sands of the sea, the beach, and as the stars in the night sky. Yes, Abraham was a bit anxious. Sarah and Abraham tried to help God, but you saw what happened. It caused problems for them. But at the end of the day, you're still blessed with a boy. Yes, now Joseph. Joseph did not start straight away as the prince of Egypt. In fact, Joseph started out as the favorite son of Jacob. Then, from being a son of Jacob, he became a slave of Egypt. And then from becoming a slave, he got promoted to head steward of part of his household. And we know what happened there, because from being a head steward of the part of his household, he went to become a prisoner in a prison. And then Joseph became from a prisoner of a prison to becoming assistant warden of the prison. And we know that when the time came right, when the time was right, at the right time, and when it's God's time, he got the promotion of a lifetime to work for Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Being a good steward doesn't shield us from bad things happening. But we know that Paul encourages by saying, let us not be weary in well-doing Alright, Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. 
Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And that's the problem is that many times we get tired. We grow weary. And then when the, the right season comes in, we are so tired that we've given up that we do not reap any reward. Let's read it again. For let us not grow weary while we are doing good. But let us continue and continue and continue so that in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 5 verse 10 to 12, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revel and persecute you, and they say all kinds of evil against you, falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Notice, being a good steward does not shield us from any of the bad things happening in our lives. We will still experience it. We will still go through the valley. We'll still go through the waters that will threaten to drown us. But we are blessed because God promises us these blessings. Other people are depending on us to be good stewards. Joseph didn't know it. He did not know that the lives of the world would depend on his good stewardship. He did not know it. He just knew that firstly he was a good son, then he was a slave and head steward, then he was a prisoner and then assistant warden. And eventually when the time was right, he was released from prison to become the second highest ruler of the world the highest ruler of, of Egypt. And in his hands was also the given the lives of the world. He did not know it, but later on, people from all over the world were going to need him to come through for, him, for them for food as the world gets affected by the famine. Finally, my brothers and sisters, there are people that need you to come through for them. They might not know it. You might not know it. But someone needs you to be a good steward of what is entrusted to you. You do not know that when God places something in your hand, that it may affect the people around you. You do not know that what God has entrusted in your hand may affect your community it may affect your city it may affect your, your your province or even your country 
and may infect the world. God has entrusted his blessings into your hand. What are you going to do with it? You see, Joseph did it. Daniel did it. David did it. Fell a few times, but he did it. Jesus himself did it. And so can you. And this partly closes on my, what, five-part sermon, six-part sermon, on the life of Joseph. But we're not finished with the life of giving. If we look in our notes on lesson eight, chapter, uh, chapter eight, page one, and we see the key verses at the top is Luke chapter 6, verse 38. What does it say? Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Oh, brothers and sisters, I do not know if you're reading the scripture correctly or whether you are understanding what we are saying, but what the word is saying that you need to give. And it's not, it, it is not a request. It is not a, a possibility or a probability. But the word says, give. That word is written in the command. God is not saying that, would you please give? No, he says, hey, you, give. Do you understand? It's a command. It's an instruction. But when God says something, when he instructs you, you should know that the next part of the scripture is a blessing because of the result of you obeying the command. <laughs> Are you getting this? If you obey God's instructions, God will bless you. You know, it's, it's not always give, 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 take, 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 take. Our human humanity, our human fleshly mindset has that thing where we become selfish. And God does not want selfish children. He does not like selfish children. They go through a period of, of, of uh, uh, fire so he can remove that from their lives. But yes, instruction, give. And it will be given to you. What will be given to you? Extra. Praise the Lord. Extra. Good measure. Brothers and sisters, when you give one kg, the Lord will give you back one kg, but he will give you a better measure than what you can ever give. The Lord does not really match your blessings because he exceeds your blessings. You may give 10 rand, the Lord will give you back 100. But I want to read the next part, good measure, 
pressed down. You know when you, you put something in a bucket, you just pour it in, and then it's full, is it not? But do you know that when you press it down, whatever it is, somehow, somewhere, there is extra space being found. This is what the Lord is saying. Yes, I pour it into your bucket. I pour it into your heart. But I start to press it down. I start to push it down. Why am I pushing it down? Why am I compacting? Why am I pressing it down? Because I am looking for extra space to give you extra blessing. When I was young, one of the things that my dad did in order to bring some form of income to the house was to make blocks. You know these cement blocks? What we used to do was that we used to take wheelbarrow when money was scarce and we could not order sand. We would go to the river. We'll fill up the wheelbarrow and we'll wheel it back home. Sometimes 10 trips, sometimes 20 trips. The place we were staying was, was a river, uh, was, a, was a floodplain. So you did not have to dig very deep. Even though the, the ground was not really ground when you come to it, when you come through the top soil, you came to clay. And you can dig, 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 and you come through water. And that's what we used to do, was that we used to dig our own smaller well. And this water all year round was always icy cold. I remember a few times we used to go and jump in it. Yes, no, this well was not for drinking. Definitely not, because that water was some form, I, I don't know what it was, it was like salty water. And we were lots of kilometers away from the beach. So we were nowhere near the beach. We were inland. And this water we used with our sand, and of course from the cement that we bought from the, the shop, which was called Rankins. We didn't have pick and pay or spa or checkers in our vicinity. It was Rankins. And what we do is, is that we'll mix the sand and the cement and then the water. And then we had this cement block machine. And when I'm talking about a machine, I'm talking about this manual thing that you can only churn out one block at a time. What you do is that it was the, the, the frame. We put down the frame on the ground and we'll put the other thing that goes on the sides, uh, on the, the longest sides of, of the, the block on the side, uh, inside the machine. And then we take the spade and we'll put the cement in. Until it's to the top. But brothers and sisters, if we had to put the cement over, 
it will fall to pieces. Why? Because it was loose. So what did we have to do? We had to take another plank, uh, another uh, hand, wood, and what we'll do is, is we start to compact it. We start to hit into the machine, and what we are doing, we're pressing it down. See, remember, uh, brothers and sisters, we have filled the machine with our cement, with our concrete or our wet cement. We have filled it. It's full. But when we take our wood and we start to smash it in, and we start to compact it, we start to press it down, we find that full, uh, that full machine suddenly is only half full. So we take some more cement and we put it in, we fill it to the top, and again we compact it. And we find we just got a thin layer at the top, we need to put some more cement. What are we doing? We are pressing down. We're making space for more. And that's what the Lord does. He fill, fills your lives with these blessings. He takes his hand. He takes his finger. He starts to press it in. He starts to press it down. He starts to compact it. And as he's compacting it, as, as, as it starts to get less and less, I mean, he's put so much blessings, but as he starts compressing it, it seems to be so little now, he starts to fill up some more. Shaken together. Have you ever filled a bottle with something like maybe spaghetti or, or macaroni and it looks like it's full, but when you start to shake it, things fall into place. Things start to move and what was no space becomes a lot of space. Maybe you've got a container of beans and you find that when you shake it, or maybe some porridge, you shake it. And what was seen to be no space, you find there's still a lot more space. And that's what the Lord does. But there's something you have to do first. You have to give. And once you have given, it will be given back to you. And what the Lord does, He does not do half measures. He does not do little measures. He does good measures. And you'll know it will be better than what you've given. And what He does, He starts to press it down. He starts to shake it together. And what happens is that oh, He starts to pour and it starts to run over. When you're making yourself coffee or you're pouring yourself some cooling in the, in, the, in the glass, what happens? You pour until you've reached its limit. There is a limit of the container that's been used when you're pouring something in it. You cannot go over that limit because why? It starts to waste. It starts to, to, to fall to the ground. And what we do is, is that we pour it to a certain limit because we know that we have to pick up this cup and carry it to a destination and we are going to spill. So we have a limit as to how much we can pour. The Lord does not use limits. He goes beyond limits. Limits does not limit him. <laughs> 
he starts to pour and you say okay lord i think that's enough the lord continues pouring uh, lord uh, you are reaching the limit the lord starts to pour lord you're going past the limit the lord starts to pour lord you're going to spill the lord starts to pour he pours he pours he continues to pour and what happens is, is that it gets poured over it starts to flow over and you know what with god's stuff when god's blessings nothing gets wasted because what the blessing starts to pour over and starts to overflow the overflow starts to bless people around you god does not waste his blessings and that's where we start to share our blessings God pours and says, what are you going to do with it? Lord, I, I, I got enough for myself. God continues to pour. What are you going to do with it? Lord, I think I got more than enough. Lord continues to pour. What are you going to do with it? Lord, I don't know what to do with this. This is just too much. The Lord continues to pour and it starts to overflow. And the Lord says, what are you going to do with it? Well, Lord, I'm going to have to share this because I cannot have it all for myself. Because it is too much for me. And what happens is this, is that you start to share in the blessings. And as you share the blessings... And the, and, and the cup starts to get uh, uh, the, uh, past the, uh, below the limit. What I mean is, is that you start to empty your cup and it starts to get empty. The Lord says, I'm going to continue pouring. Because why? You're giving, you're sharing. Because you're giving and sharing, the, the dynamo, the wheels continue to turn. And as it starts to turn, the Lord continues to pour. And it starts to overflow. And you're giving and you're giving. And what happens is, is this, is that the people around you, because of your stewardship, are being blessed. They're being affected. Joseph affected the world because of his stewardship. He blessed people around him because he obeyed God. When God overflowed the, the, the grain houses of Egypt, the people around them was getting the blessings. You might say, well, the people around me are not worthy of these blessings. Well, who are you? To decide that. Who made you God? No one. God blessed you. He's, he's watching you. What are you doing with the excess? And as we give out. The Lord says well I can see what you're doing with my blessings. And therefore I will bless you more. Because you have become a blessing to others. And what happens is this, is that the people start to watch and they start to look and say, you know what, how come that person is so blessed? It's because he's giving. Some time ago I gave a, uh, uh, an example of how God has used creation as a sermon. I remember when I was a student at the Bible College, it was my first year. And the late Dr. Pastor Arthur Naidu was lecturing to us. And I think at one stage, because we had different subjects, we had different lecturers, and I'm not sure which subjects he took. I knew, I know he took us one for personal evangelism, but there was one that we had was which was Bible geography. And I think one time he was standing in front of another pastor and he was speaking to us. He says, do you know that even God's creation preaches great and powerful sermons? 
And he spoke to us about the river Jordan. It starts off at Mount Hermon with fresh water. And it flows down. And it says the water is fresh. And what happens there is a lake, a sea that receives that fresh water. And that name of that sea is called the Sea of Galilee. And then the fresh water goes through the Sea of Galilee and exits out on the other side. Still the river Jordan and still fresh. And this Jordan River continues and continues until it reaches a sea called the Dead Sea where it dies. Do you know what the sermon is about this? We can take Mount Hermon as God and the Jordan River as the anointing, as the blessings, as the spirit, as flows from God to us. And we are the seas. A person who receives the anointing, the person who receives the blessings, the person who receives the spirit, and he does what God has given him little and he is faithful as a steward in the small things and he does the work and he blesses those around him and he gives out, what happens is that it makes space for more of the blessings to come in. As it exits out on the one side, still the river does not stop flowing. It still continues flowing all year round. And then a man who stands at the end receives the anointing. He receives the instructions of God. He receives the, the blessings of God. He receives the Holy Spirit. But he's like the man who had the one talent who buried in the ground. Nothing good or even increase came of it. It just dies. It is surprising that the Dead Sea does not get any bigger. Remember I said, the river Jordan does not stop flowing. It's still flowing. It's still coming in. It's still entering in. The Sea of Galilee receives and it gives out, but it does not get any less. But he's always receiving something fresh. The Dead Sea receives, but he does not give out. He receives, he receives, but there's no growth. He does not get any bigger. He does not get any smaller. But the water is still going in. It's still coming in. It's still coming in. But he's not giving anything out. So there's no growth. And there's no freshness. Within. So God says in Luke chapter 6 verse 38. For with the same measure that you use. It will be measured back to you. You receive but don't give. You want to receive anything more. Because nothing will be given. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 5 to 15 reads as thus. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time. And prepare your generous gift beforehand. Which you had previously promised. 
that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. How many of you, when it's tithes and offerings, grudgingly give? How many of you, when it's time for tithes and offerings, say, yeah, you know what, if I give the money, it's just the past he's going to pocket in his own pocket. I, I've been amongst the people, I know what they're saying. But it's the wrong thing they're saying, because why? Scripture tells us that it's not a request, it is not an obligation, it is a command. But also, know this, that God does not force you. Why do you worship God? Are you forced to worship God? Are you forced to praise Him? Are you forced to be a Christian? If so, I am very sorry for you. That is not the way it's supposed to be. No one's forced to follow Christ. But only those who love Christ follow Him. You're not forced to go to church. But the Bible says, do not forsake the gathering of the saints. You're not forced to give tithes and offerings, even though it is a command by God. Why does God command you? Because He wants the best for you. Are you forced to put your money in the bank? Yes, I know it's part of law, but many people don't put the money in the bank. They put the money under the mattress. And the cooks come at night and they steal the money and therefore you've lost all your money. I mean, if someone comes to steal from the bank, at least there's a responsibility where the bank will have to pay back. But let's go to the next verse. But this I say. Who's saying this? Paul. Remember, we're reading from 2 Corinthians. He's writing to the Corinth church. He who sows sparingly. What does that mean? It means that those who sow little will also reap sparingly. You know, it's like this. You sow one seed of wheat, one seed of millies, you will get one plant of millies. All right? Don't expect by sowing one seed that you're going to fill the entire field at the harvest. No. If you sow only one seed, you are only going to get the produce of that one seed. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So, let each one give as he purposes in his heart. You see, uh, tithes is the tenth. Okay? There's no argument about that. You cannot give less than that. You can give more, but you cannot give less. That is God's money. But the offering comes from your heart. The offering, because I mean, you know, tithes come about once a, uh, once a month when you get your salary. All right? Or more so for those who are blessed with extra, will tithe on the extra. 
Like for instance, you, you, you get your salary and then someone online, someone gives you some money. Say, yeah, yeah, is money. I, I feel, yes, yes, 100 rand. All right, I want to bless you with it. And then what happens is that because God is now blessing you, you should bless God get, uh, back by paying the tenth of that. But the offering is of your own purpose. And that's what the law calls, the love offering. All right? So let's each one purpose in his heart, not grudgingly or because it's necessary. The Lord say, no, 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 I don't want your money because you think it's necessary as as, as an offering. But God loves a cheerful giver. All right? And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. Guys, what are we doing? What are we, what are we studying? We are studying growing in grace. Okay? Growing in grace. And the scripture says is that God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you always having all sufficiency in all things. That you may have an abundance of every good work. Alright? You see, the tithe is what God demands from you. Okay? The tithe is what God requests from you. It is his right. The tenth. But the offering is where our blessings lie. The offering is when God, when you give to God, God says, because you've given to me and because I'm looking at your heart, he's like, mm. you know, why should I give? I don't want to give. And you look around and you see people are giving. And you say, I better give because I'm going to be the odd one out. Because everyone's giving, but they're going to look at me and say, ah, that one's a Scrooge. So I don't want them to call me a Scrooge. I better give. So what happens? It becomes a necessity. And God looks at the heart and says, I do not accept your gift. I do not want it. Imagine if someone came to you and says, oh, you know what? I'm giving you a blessing. Yeah, he has some money. And then you walk away. Do you want to take that money? Well, of course, everyone will take that money. But the thing is that the feeling is not good. It's not right. Yes, we'll take the money, but we will not like the manner it was given. God loves a cheerful giver. And what happens is, is that when you give, you will have all sufficiency in all the things. You will have abundance of every good work. And as it is written in verse 9, He hath dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. In verse 10, Now may he who supplies seed to the sower, Alright? So, uh, yes, you went and bought the seed, but remember, God provides the money so that the sower can buy the seed. We don't, we don't think that. Alright? We, we, we think, we, okay, we just buy the seed. No, the Lord provides. We think we got a job. No, the Lord provided that job too. We got a promotion. The Lord provided that promotion. We need to thank the Lord for that. Alright? Because all things belong to God. And we are just stewards looking after the things of God. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown. 
and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God for the administration of the service not only supplies the needs of the saints but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. Well, through the proof of this ministry, they glorified God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And we forget that. Remember what I said earlier? A good steward knows his responsibility. A good steward knows that God has given things into his hands. And God watches to see what he or she will do with it. What are you doing with the things God has given in your hands? And I mean, during this, this lockdown time, some of us were still working. Some of us, of course, we were retrenched and lost our jobs. And most probably by now have found more jobs. My question is this. Have you been faithfully paying your tithes? Have you been faithfully paying your, your offerings? Do you know that even pastors have to pay tithes? It does not always be like, you know, we, we receive from where we are working and then that's it. That goes into our pockets. No, pastors have also a responsibility of paying tithes. And we'll speak about this next week. Most probably when we cover through the part where that when you pay tithes back to God, the Lord rebukes the devourer who steals from your storehouse. See, the work we have, the salary we receive, is not ours. It's God's. God has blessed us with it. Yes, we need it to live. But remember that God is in control of everything. And He watches and He waits and says, Please fulfill your responsibility. There has to be some form of receiving back. And I'm going to explain next week about why tithes and offerings are so important to God and what it teaches us. Okay? And we're going to close now with our prayer. But just know that a life of giving is eternal. It's not temporal. It's not like, oh, you know what? Uh, I need to pay my tithes and offerings because the pastor said so. Or I need to pay my tithes and offerings because I heard a sermon about it and I feel a bit guilty about it. But no, it's because it's what the scriptures commands us to do. It's also because we are doing this chapter. As a disciple, it's important 
that we do this. The disciples of Jesus had to do it as well. I mean, they had to pay tax. <laughs> Did you know that? They had to pay tax. But they had a palm. They had a thief amongst them. They had a thief in the ranks. And the funny thing was, is that he was the treasurer. Judas. They gave him money. They put it into the money bag. But Judas was sticking his hand into the money bag and taking out money and using it for his own selfish purposes. And one day, it was time for Jesus and his disciples to pay tax to the government. Yes, Jesus also paid tax. He did not condemn it. It was just the law. That was how it ran. That was the purpose. And the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, we've got a bit of a a, a sticky problem here. Um, John here, my brother here, John, said that he put in enough money that by our calculations, we have enough money for tax, we have enough money left over for food, but when we looked, the bag was empty. We got home, Jesus. We need to pay our tax. The soldiers are going to come looking for us if we don't do this. And Jesus just looked at Peter and uh, whatever disciples was with him at that time, bringing an accusation against Judas, and says, well, go fish. <laughs> Peter must well be like, say what? Peter, you know very well what I just said. I said go fish. All right? Go fish. And whatever you find in the contents of the fish, you know, the money that's there, go and pay it for their tax. And I'm sure Peter must probably thought, oh, you know what? Jesus is just, he's, he's, he's suffering with head stroke. Uh, not head stroke, heat stroke. <laughs> Jesus has been too, uh, are you feeling okay, Jesus? You've been a bit too long out in the sun. I think you might be not really thinking clearly. Where are you going to find money in fish? I mean, I've been fishing all my life. I don't find money in fish. That is the most silliest thing I ever heard. And I'm sure Jesus must have looked at Peter and said, Peter. Ah, oh, man, I love you so much, my brother. I know sometimes you are so zealous in what you believe. You are so headstrong and you're so quick in your, on your temper. Just for this once, do what I tell you. Or maybe Peter just went away and thought, you know what? I've seen so much miracles of Jesus that, you know what, I'm going to go out on faith. This is silly, but maybe I need a time off a bit, you know, and fishing might just relax me a bit. So he went there with his fishing rod and threw in the, uh, his rod and he pulled out the first fish and he said, yeah, let me open this fish to see. Opens the fish and guess what? There's the right amount of money for tax. See, even Jesus had to pay tax. He's, even Jesus had to sow into the kingdom, even though it was just the government. But he had responsibility. There was a law that said that so much money had to be paid. And Jesus had to, with his disciples, pay that amount. But now when God says that there's a certain amount that you have to pay, we are all saying, oh, no, that's, that's not so unfair. But if the government... Sars had to come into your into your house and say there is an outstanding amount 
and this is what's going to happen, how fast will you pay it? Why are we more afraid of the government than of God? Why are we more afraid of man, which will only be for a time, than God, which will be all for eternity? Jesus says, be more afraid of the one who can destroy your soul in hellfire. Yes, we may be having this idea that God is love and God won't do this, but remember there's laws that God has to enforce. There's His word that He has to enforce. And many times we say, no, God is love. He'll never do this to us. It's not God doing it to us. It's us doing it to us. Because we are not obeying the, the law. We are not obeying His commandments. We are not obeying His instructions. You know, when your child does not obey your instructions, what do you do? You punish him. But have you stopped loving him? No, you haven't. Many times they say that a person who does not discipline the child does not love their child. Scripture says that. So when God punishes us, we say God does not love us anymore. Uh, why is it different from God? Shouldn't be. God loves us. Or should I say God disciplines us because He loves us. Okay, let's close. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this time that we've been together. We thank you for this, this word that was brought before your listeners this morning. I pray for the word of Father God to be planted as a seed. That it will grow and it will, will germinate and that the harvest will be harvested a hundredfold. We saw the life of Joseph through the time when he was just a beloved son of his father. We saw how he moved to becoming a slave, most probably kicked and embarrassed and ridiculed and beaten, to becoming the head steward of his master's house. We saw how from there, because of false accusations, even though he did nothing wrong, evil still fell upon him and he was thrown into prison to become a prisoner. And we saw because of his faithfulness and because of his ability of being a steward how he became the system warden. And then from being the system warden to becoming the second ruler, the deputy ruler of Egypt. And Lord, even though this took maybe many years, maybe even more than a decade, but you were still working at it. Lord, forgive us at any time that we try to force your blessings, the timetable to come ahead of time. Help us to be patient. Help us to depend on your word of Father God. To depend on your, on your uh, ability of meeting our needs and, and our uh, uh, blessing us and promoting us as 
We learn to be more dependent on you and we learn to be more faithful and reliable in your blessings. Forgive us every word that we may speak that is not of thee, Lord, and may be harsh or self-appreciation, appreciating or even self-promoting, O Lord. Help us to be humble, to listen to your word and to wait upon your leadership, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, for this time. And I pray for the listeners. And I pray, Lord, those who are sick of Father God, I pray you'll heal them. I pray for a refreshing of your anointing upon them, Lord. A revival of your spirit in our hearts. Until we meet again, I ask this in your name, in the name of Jesus. And the church says, Amen. Amen.